Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 116. Psalm 116, hear now the word of our God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 116 is, is not a, a treatise on prayer. Rather, Psalm 116 is a, is a meditation on prayer, reflecting on what prayer is that pleases God and how God has saved him through prayer. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Why do we pray? Well, at the very heart of why we pray must be because we love God. I love the Lord. And now why do I love the Lord? Because he first loved me. He heard my voice. He showed me mercy. Because God has done what he promised, therefore we pray that God will continue to do what he has promised. Psalm 119 also asks, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And verse 13 and 14, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The, this language of I will pay my vows uh, suggests that the psalmist had made a vow. And that's where in the Old Testament, oftentimes this would take the form of, if, if you deliver me from this situation, then I will offer such and such sacrifice in the temple when, when you have delivered me. And in verse 17, the psalmist says that because God has loosed his bonds, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I mean, there's a way in which the, the sort of the singer of the psalm is saying that, that it may sound, it may sound, oh, wait, it sounds like he's bargaining with God. Yes, actually, that's, that's true. He is. I mean, that's, it is what it sounds like. It's basically saying, if you will do this, then I will pay my vow. I, I, will, I will bring this offering. That's actually 
entirely appropriate because that's where, but part of what you see in Psalm 116, what you see in the way the scriptures teach us to think about prayer is that when we learn how to pray, you might say according to God's will, when we learn to pray for what he has promised, then it's actually appropriate. God is teaching us. He is training us in the sort of the school of discipleship to learn how to pray the way that he teaches us, the way that he shows us, according to his will. Our New Testament lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, hear now the word of our God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We are concluding our catechetical series with a ten-part reflection on the Lord's Prayer. And I, w I want to start by, in a sense, connecting what we've seen in the creed with what we see in the prayer. Because, after all, if our faith is a Trinitarian faith, then our prayers should be Trinitarian prayers. And our, our larger catechism has some useful reflection on how we pray. And it starts by asking, what is prayer? It's a good question to ask. And it says, a prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Now, I note that the catechism's answer to what is prayer follows the structure of the Apostles' Creed, as well as the Nicene Creed. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God, the Father, in the name of Christ, the Son, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins, as the Creed spoke of one baptism for the 
remission of sins. The Catechism echoes that with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So when we come to God in prayer, we are coming, bringing to him our desires in the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And so we'll, we'll look at that, we'll use that as, a, as the structure for our asking, what, what is prayer? Well, first, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. God has commanded us to come to him and pray about everything. It's worth reflecting on. Is, is there something in your life that you're not praying about? If there's something in your life that you're not praying about, that suggests that that area, you think, I can handle that. I don't need God. Now, as, as soon as you reflect on that, you're like, well, okay, the, the, I, there should be something. Uh, I should be praying about everything because I need God in every part of my life. And that's why, that's why Jesus says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or wear. I mean, Jesus knows that we think we can handle the ordinary day-to-day stuff. Well, that's why we get anxious about it. We don't think that God will do things correctly. And, and by the way, um, if, you, if you don't think that God will handle it the way you want, you're right. So this is part of, part of why prayer is so important. Because if you think about it, if we assume that, okay, prayer is our way of getting God to do what we want, you may find out that prayer doesn't seem to work. That's not what it's for. You see, prayer is part of how God realigns our hearts and our eyes so that we start to see things more and more his way, that we start seeing his kingdom, his glory, his purposes as being what he's about, and that changes us to be more in tune with what God's doing. So that's where prayer is, is, is really important for bringing our desires to God because it helps us reorient our very desires. How often do you pray that God would do what he has promised? Because very often, we, we, we focus our prayers on how, asking God to do what we want. If you would be effective in prayer, then start praying for what he wants. Uh, I got a, a good lesson from this at, when I was in seminary from the groundskeeper. You might think, that, oh, in seminary you learn the important things from your professors. No, actually, I learned about prayer from the groundskeeper. He kept a record of answers to prayer that God had answered. Now, when I was in seminary, he was in the millions. He had millions of answers to prayer where God had answered his prayers. And he kept a, he kept a, a daily running tally, and every day it kept going up in the, by the hundreds and thousands. Because every day, as he went about his tasks as groundskeeper, he would pray for the students. Well, how many students were there? (laughs) Uh, He would pray for the faculty. He would pray for an ever-growing list of pastors and churches who were pastored by people he had known who had come to the seminary. He would pray that that Christ would bless each of these churches, each of these pastors, each of these seminarians and professors. He would pray that the Christians would grow in grace and wisdom. He would pray for the pregnant sisters that 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 got and every day that they remained pregnant and didn't. And even if they even if they miscarried, that, that was an answer to prayer 
So he would pray for each person. And then he would add the tally marks for everything he had prayed for. And so they, <laughs> he would, you know, millions of answered prayers. And he kept it right there on the, on the blackboard in his office so that the, the students would learn sort of, how are you praying? What are you, do what you have promised, oh God. Now, you might say, oh, that's cheating. You're praying for what God's already said he's going to do. But remember who God is. If you cannot ask him to do what he's promised, then what are you going to ask him to do? This is God we're talking about. He has made so many promises that you will never run out of things to pray for because everything in your life is included under the promises of God. Think of how you relate to your children. You know, if you've got a baby, the baby needs food, and you have promised to give that child food. And yet you still try to teach the child to say please. And so you know, you're still going to feed the baby even if he doesn't say please. But you still are trying to teach the child how to talk to you. Well, prayer is how... God is teaching us to speak to him. I love the Lord, Psalm 116 says, because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. When I pray to him, he saves me. And this is why we pray in the name of Christ. Our larger catechism asks, what is it to pray in the name of Christ? Well, to pray in the name of Christ is in obedience to his command and in confidence on his promises to ask mercy for his sake. Not by bare mentioning of his name, but by drawing our encouragement to pray and our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and his mediation. It's not just about tacking on in Jesus' name to the end of your prayers. It's about coming with boldness into the presence of the Father through the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's drawing our encouragement to pray and our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ, from His mediation, because He has welcomed us into God's presence. Therefore, we know that we are heard because our Heavenly Father has welcomed us in Him. And then, why do we pray in the name of Christ? The Catechism says the sinfulness of man and his distance from God by reason thereof being so great as that we can have no access into his presence without a mediator. And there is none in heaven or on earth who is fit for that glorious work but Christ alone. And so we're to pray in his name only. So we come to Jesus because he's the one who has opened the way to heaven. As we've seen as we went through the creed, we've seen that He's the one, until Jesus, there was no man at the right hand of the Father. There was no way for us to get to the right hand of the Father. There was no way. All of those Old Testament scenes of of God appearing to man all happen on earth, where people are sort of looking up and they might see the glory of the Lord descending. But that's where in the book of Revelation, John hears, come up here. How can John come up here? Because Jesus is already there. Jesus has opened the way. Jesus has access to the right hand of the Father through his own sacrifice. And therefore, he's the one who can bring us to the Father. This is why we have such a great privilege that we come into the heavenly holy of holies. Not just the earthly holy of holies like the high priest did once a year in the Old Testament. We come 
into the very heavenly holy of holies in Jesus. And this is what we heard in in Psalm 116, verses 5 and 6. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. God is merciful. The whole point of mercy is that it's undeserved. Nobody deserves mercy. In spite of our sin and rebellion, God has saved us. He hears our prayers, not because we're so great and good, but because He is so gracious, because He is merciful. And so the psalmist has that same confidence. The psalmist recognizes that his confidence is in the Messiah. And he says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This confidence in God's word that God hears, that God accepts me, is strikingly contrasted with his profound lack of confidence in man. Psalm 116 says, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Even, even when we think that, oh no, I'm a truth teller. There are times when we may think that, no, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not gossiping, I'm not slandering, I'm not. But sometimes it, we don't even notice when we've done it, because we thought we were trying to be edifying in how we said it. But it wasn't edifying to the one that heard. And you may not even know it because the one who heard may not even say anything. Huh. How are you supposed to... That's what the psalmist says. All mankind are liars. He's not, he, it's, it's sort of, this is the problem we face. Whose promises do you trust? Whose word do you listen to? Prayer is a response to what God has said. This is true in every walk of life. If you spend much time around sports fans, you hear the coach every year, I'm going to turn this team around. And the, the, and the blogosphere is jammed with the prayers of the faithful. Sort of saying, we believe in this, we believe in this coach. Uh, same thing happens in politics. I'm going to turn this country around. And we put our trust in the promises of men. But Psalm 116 reminds us, all mankind are liars. And it's not even that they're all trying to be liars. They simply are. Only God is true. And that's also then why we need the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer, because in case you haven't noticed it, when the psalmist says all mankind are liars, that includes him. (laughs) That includes me. So, uh, how do I come to God in prayer? Well, we need the the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Our catechism says it this way. We, not knowing what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit helps our infirmities by enabling us to understand both for whom and what and how prayer is to be made, and by working and quickening in our hearts, not in all persons or at all times in the same measure, but by working in our hearts, 
those apprehensions, affections, and graces which are needed for the right performance of prayer. Sort of, it's only by the grace of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be able to pray well. And we see a beautiful example of praying well in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. And so I, I want to just take a moment to reflect on what Paul's doing in this just this gorgeous prayer. I, I, I got to say, uh, the ESV did a wonderful job of translating this prayer in uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 18 or 19. It's just, it's just a. They kept, they kept the, the sentence intact. It's one, one gorgeous sentence, and he, he, Paul prays for three things: that God will grant you, that you may have strength, that you may be filled. Paul's prayer for you is, is not that you'll do a lot of stuff. Though I dare say, if, if these three things are true of you, there's no telling what you might do. But Paul's prayer is that God will grant you, that you may have strength, that you may be filled. That Paul's prayer is, is, has to do with who you are more than what you do. God, Paul's prayer is that God would radically reorient you to himself that God would grant according to the riches of His glory, the glory that He has revealed in the resurrection of Jesus, that you might be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man. And with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your inner being, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, what does Paul pray for? The first thing Paul prays for is the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of the church. This was part of that lesson that the groundskeeper taught me at Westminster. That What was he praying for? It, 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 sure, he would, he would pray for everything, but the first thing that he would pray for is that God would work by his Spirit in the hearts and lives of each person he prayed for. And then Paul turns more active, and this is uh, this is the, way, the pattern that Paul uses in Ephesians. In Ephesians two, he says that we're saved by grace through faith. This is not our own doing, but the gift of God. But the ne- very next thing he says is that we are saved unto good works, which God created us to do in Christ Jesus. And so also here, after emphasizing our need for God to empower us by the Spirit and for Christ to dwell, to inhabit our hearts by faith, then Paul says, in order that you might have strength to comprehend. Sort of, Paul recognizes that our salvation is the work of God. But because it's the work of God, once God has worked in us, then we also work. And that's precisely what he says here, that you may have strength to comprehend. If you are rooted and grounded in love, through the indwelling of Christ and the empowering of His Spirit, then you will have the strength to comprehend, to realize with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I know if you're like me, you're like, huh? In fact, when I, it's been several years since I preached on this passage, and so when I read it again, I was sort of like, uh, remind me again, what was it that Paul... I mean, so if, if, if you, when you read this passage, you, you're like, what is Paul meaning here? Don't worry, I have the same... The same thing happens to me when I... Re- but 
At the end of chapter 2, Paul had said that we were being built together into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. What are the measurements of this holy temple? The measurements are this, the, the, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth. This sort of what, what is God doing in history? What is God doing in us? Paul prays that you would have strength to comprehend how you are part of this holy temple that God is building. That you would understand, that you would, that you would comprehend how, what God is doing in building this holy temple in this place, in this region, and throughout all the world. That Christ is dwelling in his church, inhabiting his holy temple. And by this love, we are enabled to comprehend this spiritual dwelling place. And, and Paul prays that you would have strength to comprehend two things. Not just that you're part of this holy temple, but also that you might know the surpassing love of Christ. This is, this is, this is a great word, hooperbalo. It's literally to throw beyond so if you wanted to translate this more colloquially, you'd say, to know the mind-blowing love of Christ. If we ever take this for granted, brothers and sisters, we're in big trouble. If we ever think that the love of Christ is obvious, then we're getting oblivious. If we ever start to think, oh, of course he loves me, look at me, what's not to love? Yeah. Then we need to go back to Ephesians 1 and 2. We were dead in our sins, strangers, aliens, without God, without hope. Yet God loved us. Jesus came, died for us, that we might have life, and came to dwell with us, in us, by His Spirit. And so this is what leads to the final thing that Paul prays for, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. This is... This is the mind-blowing stuff. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. But remember what we kept seeing throughout the creed. The importance of the uncreated grace. Of course, uncreated grace. There's only one that's uncreated. That's God himself. When God himself gives you himself, that you might be united to the life of God. That God himself might join you to... This is why Jesus came in the flesh. It's why the whole creed gets written. Because it's why we have hope and life. Because God has joined us to his own life. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Talk about mind-blowing. In one sense, I can, I, can sort of, I can see the logic of how Jesus died in my place as my substitute. Okay, I got that. Adoption, okay, that works. God adopts me as his heir. Wonderful but that you might be filled with all the fullness of God? It was not enough simply that God loved me. It was not enough that He simply gave me a place at His table. It was not enough that God sent His Son to die that I might live, but He also says that I am to be filled with all the fullness of God. How can I, who am mortal, receive the fullness of the immortal one? How can I, who was born in sin, receive into myself the Holy One? How? The eternal Son of God became all that we are by nature so that we might become all that He is by grace. Now, Paul himself is so astounded at what he just wrote (laughs) that he pauses 
and says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus has united a church to himself, a people to himself, so that we would share in the fullness of God which dwelt bodily in Jesus. And that's, and that's why prayer must always include confession of our sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. We need to know our sin and misery so that we can humble ourselves before God. We sang this in Psalm 116. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. You often hear people say that in, in the good times it's easy to forget God. That's part of why God doesn't leave us long in our blithe and perilous comfort. The cross is the only way to glory. It was true for Jesus. It'll be true for us as well. And so it is in the midst of our suffering and our misery that we cry out to God. Then I called on the the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. If you don't know your misery, then you won't see any reason to cry out to God. And the Psalms don't usually give detailed reasons why, because the Psalms were written so that all Israel could sing them, so that we all could. That's where, as as you're reading the Psalms and praying the Psalms, the Psalms are, are encouraging you to import your situation into the Psalm. That basically see yourself in the text. I know it's sort of backwards. It's backwards the way we're often taught. We're often taught, how does this apply to me? But the way scripture is written is designed the opposite way, for you to see yourself in the text, you might say. And, and that's where, as we come to God in prayer, we come as those who know we need a Savior. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And we recognize our sin and become confessing it. We, we have a, a weekly confession of sin in our service so that we can learn how to confess our sins together. I mentioned a few weeks ago the importance of repentance, and I kind of feel the need to repeat it again because I need to repent of my poor teaching and example over the years, and because of how many times I said the other thing before, I need to say it a few times. <laughs> but when you're repenting, when you're confessing your sin, and you realize that you've harmed others, it's, there's really, that's not the time to say, please forgive me. Because when you say, please forgive me, you're immediately flipping it to the other person and putting the responsibility on them. The important thing in repentance, and actually it's, it's fitting, and part of the reason I want to do this is because this is the week that we're memorizing the Shorter Catechism question on repentance, uh, so it's a good week to work on this. But what is repentance? When we're confessing our sins, what are we doing? Well, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Where in all of that does it say that repentance unto life is asking for forgiveness? It's not there. And there's a reason for that. Because I experienced this, unfortunately, where I realized what I just did was I flipped the burden onto the person I was confessing to. By saying, I sinned, please forgive me. Now, I'm off the hook. I've done my part, now it's on you. 
And that person wasn't ready to forgive me yet. Because, quite frankly, think about the whole of repentance. Repentance includes a true sense of your sin. Okay, I think I had communicated that. Apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, okay. Grief and hatred of sin, maybe I had communicated that. Turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience hadn't quite happened yet. So that's where it's like, okay, to, to then jump straight to, and now please forgive me. Well, I hadn't fully repented yet. I was only in the process of repenting. So that's where recognizing that repentance does not mean saying, will you forgive me? Repentance means that is, I have sinned against God and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. That's you know, the, what the prodigal son says to his father. Repentance says, I was wrong. I hurt you. And, that, and I realize now how, how horrible that was. And I'm going to strive never to do that again to you or anybody else. That's repentance. And then, now, sure, it's that person's job to forgive you. But that's their job. It's not your job to put them on the spot and say, now are you going to do your part? Repentance always is recognizing my sin for what it is and recognizing that I need to turn from it to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And that's, you know, so I'm not saying you should never ask for forgiveness, but I mean, if I, if I stole $100 from you, I could, I could come and say, ah, uh, so sorry, I stole $100. Will you forgive me? You'd be right to say, where's that $100 again? <laughs> could, you, could you make sure you get that back to me sometime? Uh, well, in the same way, if I've harmed you through my words and actions, or lack thereof, then it's entirely appropriate to expect a repentance that bears fruit. So we need to be careful not to use repentance as a way of flipping the script, as it were, and it, it's it just I've I've seen it I've not just seen it weaponized I've weaponized it, and that when I realized what I was doing I had to repent of my previous repentance, um, but this is where it's important that and that's where if if somebody comes to you with a full shorter catechism sort of repentance, then yes it is your responsibility to forgive them and so. Don't, you don't have to wait for them to say, will you forgive me? You can say, and I forgive you for that. But that's just, I just want to encourage us to be thinking about repentance much more biblically, because as I, as I started looking through sort of biblical, biblical cases of confession and repentance, I was like, wow, uh, this, whole, this whole will you forgive me thing, it's just not the way, it's not the way that scripture puts it. And so, and that's where as we, as we learn to pray, as we learn to be Trinitarian in our prayers, to, to pray to our, to our triune God who sent, who the Father sent his Son to die for us that we might have life, we need to learn how to pray in ways that, that reflect his own mercy and, and grace to us. So let's, let us pray. Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your great kindness to us in Jesus, that you did not leave us in our sin and misery, you did not abandon us to the grave, but you sent your only begotten Son who came in our flesh, who joined himself to our humanity, that he might join us to you, that we might be filled with all of your fullness. And we marvel at this, your great kindness to us, that you have given to us your Holy Spirit, that we might have 
that we might have your own life. And we pray that you would have mercy upon us for his sake, that you would strengthen us by your grace and renew us by your spirit, that we might walk before you as your children. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.